take a moment, just thank our band for leading us in worship. We love you guys. Thank you. We spent the majority of this past week uh, working on some new songs for the new songs for the house. I'm excited about it. Uh, new original music, and so uh, Joey and and Chrissy and a, b- a bunch of the the guys were uh, just with me and a couple other people just working on music. And I'm telling you, this church is called to write songs that make dead things come alive. I'm telling you, and so it's exciting to be a part of that. And you'll be hearing them throughout the services over the next few months. And so it's exciting. Love that. Love that. Well, welcome to City Church. If you're new, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. God bless you. Glad you're here. We're in a three-part series, or four-part series. We're in part three of a teaching series on the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Yeah, it's on the screen. So yeah, chapter 11, right? And if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, this is a great opportunity for you to begin to familiarize yourself with that passage. And we've been walking through a devotional each day. I hope that you're doing that and a part of that with us. It's been awesome. And really studying the essence, the substance, the practice of a life of faith. And so we've taken these four weeks really to digest this material deeply and get inside of our hearts. What does it mean to be people of faith? And so that first week, if you were with us, we talked about a definition of faith, what faith is. And we saw it in the life of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Then this last week, last last Sunday, we looked at the stages of faith in the life of Abraham, how faith grows. And we decided to do something a little bit special for this part three of this series. We're having different teachers teach this same passage with the same essence at every one of our campuses. And so we asked our Bridgeport campus pastor to join us today. And many of you guys may not know him, but uh, City Church is one church in five locations. So Middletown, Hartford, North Haven, New Haven, and Bridgeport. And so... Our Bridgeport campus pastor is here to share with us today. And uh, listen, I just was in first service, and God really just opened my heart to some powerful truth uh, through this message. And you're going to be really, really encouraged today. So can you guys put your hands together and welcome Josh Conrad as he comes? Come on, Josh. I want to pray for him today. Would you just stretch your hand out? Father, I thank you for Josh. I thank you this man of God is used by you in powerful ways. And we thank you for the word that you've put in his heart. And the encouragement has already been in my spirit and uh, what I know it's going to do in the hearts of every person here today. Lord, use him and open up our ears, open up our hearts that we could hear from you. And God, I pray we'd never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. How are you, New Haven? Hey, before we dive in today, can we just say thank you to Justin for his leadership in our church? So grateful for him. I get the distinct honor to live and follow Jesus alongside of him. He is a man of deep character, of deep conviction, of deep love for this church, a deep love for the gospel. And so, man, just so thankful to be here today with you guys. Uh, Make me welcome here in New Haven. I'm usually down in Bridgeport. We get a little rowdy in Bridgeport. You want to get a little rowdy this morning? There we go. There we go. Feels good. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 22. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, otherwise, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. But like Justin said, my name is Josh. I campus, or I pastor at our Bridgeport location. Uh, my wife, Stacy, who's expecting babies. Isn't that exciting? We're pregnant. We got two of them coming. I know you guys were like a little bit holding off because I said there's babies. There's two babies coming in Jesus' name. We're having twins. So excited about that. Just be praying for us. We need all those prayers we can get. Well, like Justin said, week one of this series, we defined faith as an awareness of the invisible world that produces a conviction that leads 
to action. And then last week took a look at the stages of faith through the life of Abraham. And today we're going to take a look at a couple new stories. But take a look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 22. You ready? Let's go. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Such a deep passage of Scripture. If you're taking some notes today, and I encourage you to do so, the title, the title of today's message is Stay Hungry. Stay Hungry. Stay Hungry. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we pray right now that you would open our hearts. God, we open our spirits to you right now. God, we want to hear from you. God, I pray that the words of this passage would jump off of these pages and become a living thing in our spirits. God, that right now, faith would rise in our spirits as we read these words. Go ahead and tell God in your own way, God, I want to hear from you. God, I trust you. I want to hear from on high today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. If you're like me, you have many hobbies. You've got different things that you get excited about, different passions that you have. For me, I like to cook. I like to go out to nice restaurants. I like to travel. My wife and I enjoy doing those things together. One of the things, unfortunately, that I enjoy doing without my wife is watching basketball is watching some basketball. I've been a basketball fan ever since I was probably about this height, just a younger age. I'm not all that tall. You're like, why is this guy? Listen, I know it's, dis- it's a little bit deceptive. From here, I'm actually 6'7". Um, it's really great. I've been playing basketball professionally for a number of years. Uh, just kidding. Um, but I've been so passionate just about basketball for a long, long time. And I ran across some information this week as I was preparing this message about the USA basketball team, that the teams that have gone to the Olympics over a number of years, um, in 1936 was the first year that basketball was like a team event at the Olympic Games. Um, and of all of the different years that there's been Olympic Games, there's been 14 times that the American team has gone to the Olympics, and of those 14 times, they've won gold 12 times. 12 out of 14 times, American basketball has won the gold medal. Before the year 2004, they had lost on an entirety over those 70-ish years, two games in the Olympics. Two times, they lost a single game. They won 12 gold medals. They lost two games. And in the 1992 Dream Team, if anybody's around, you know the Dream Team, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, all those guys. Yeah, that team beat their opponents by an average of 43 points every single game. They averaged a defeat of 43 points every single game. And yet in 2004, the U.S. basketball team shows up to the Olympics a little bit less hungry, 
a little bit less motivated. Perhaps the roster wasn't just right. It was just like, eh, we've won 12 out of 14. We'll win this one too. And that team shows up in Athens, Greece, and they lose three games. They had lost two times in 70 years. They lost three times in 2004 alone. That team won the bronze medal, not a gold medal. Something happened that year in 2004. So many different ways that you can understand this. You know, how does a team or an organization, you know, different teams and players and coaches all throughout those different years win gold all those many times? And then the 2004 team just doesn't show up. Just doesn't really have it that year. You know, so many different theories. One of the things that was known about that team is that they just lost their hunger. They had gotten a little bit complacent. 12 gold medals, we got this. And they get beat over and over and over again in the 2004 Olympics. You know, I went to a Christian college. I went to um, a Bible school after high school and wanted to become a pastor. I've known for a long, long time. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve the local church for my whole life. And so I went to Bible school after high school and learned all the things, right? You, you learn Greek, you learn Hebrew, you learn hermeneutics, you learn apologetics, you learn about different writers of different books of the Bible. And I, what I realized over those few years, this very formative time, that the hunger that I entered into Bible school with, this hunger to see the world reach, to see Christians made, to see or, um, um, families and, and the organization of the family become followers of Jesus, my head began to fill with knowledge and I was becoming less and less hungry to see the actual work of ministry happen. You know, that's so true sometimes. We can fill ourselves, fill our appetites with head knowledge, and our heart just starts to wander just a little bit. And there's a deep word, I believe, in these verses from Hebrews 11 that are going to ignite a new hunger and a passion and an urgency in our church today. You know, we've talked about the, the faith as a diamond with different facets, and you can look at a different, different angles of a diamond and see it just a little bit differently and see a new angle. And so as faith as a diamond with many facets, so faith is having many facets. And one of the facets I want to talk about today is urgency, because in my faith, I know I can get a little bit too comfortable, a little bit complacent, I don't stay hungry, and I think that's true for all of us. You know, no matter what stage of life you're in today, I believe if you're 22 years old, you're finishing college, you've got your career before you, you're saying, you know what, God, I'm going to hang around the edges just a little bit longer because i got a career i got to think about. I want to get the right relationship going and then buy the house and then get all the things going, and then I'm going to come back and be passionate about what you have for me today, God. So I'm just going to linger a little bit on the fringes. I'm not so hungry right now for you. Maybe you're 45 years old. You've got school schedules and soccer schedules and PTA meetings and lunches to make and all the different things that just go with being a parent. And so you're thinking, I don't have time for urgency in my faith. Yeah, I know I believe it and I'm going to show up every now and then, but I don't really have an urgency because I don't have time. I don't have the thing in me that says I got to move and be a part of active faith. Maybe you're 61 years old. You've faithfully served Jesus for a long, long time. You've seen decades and decades of God move, and yet your perspective is starting to become a little bit clouded with the idea that maybe I've already seen all that God has. Maybe I've already seen God move in powerful ways and the best days are already behind me. You know, I believe that the writer of Hebrews today has a word for us. I believe that these illustrations of these stories, and I believe that they were divinely inspired for you and for me today, because I believe that what the writer is going to get to for us is to learn and teach us how to develop an appetite for the eternal, an appetite for the eternal. He's trying to inject urgency and hunger into our lives because 
And we talk about this as a church all the time. Eternity is real. It's real. This life is temporary. We go through this life like a, like a vapor in the wind is what Scripture calls it. And you and I will one day stand before God to give account and say, God, this is what I did with my life. This is what I believed, and this is how it led and followed in action. Eternity is real. So what is it that these heroes had? What is it that they knew that you and I can so easily lose sight of? We're going to take a look at three specific stories in this passage and learn together, okay? All right, let's go. Let's look at verse 22 again. It says this, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Gave direction concerning his bones. Joseph, at this point of his life, is 110 years old. 110. And Joseph, if you know the story of Joseph, you know at an early age, he was the 11th of 12 sons, that he had a vision that he was going to rule over his brothers. He did the not-so-smart thing that younger brothers can do sometimes and told his older brothers that. I got a couple younger brothers. If they told me they were going to rule over me, yeah, we'd be having a conversation too. See, Joseph goes to his older brother, says, I'm going to rule over you. And they said, great, we're going to throw you in a pit and sell you into slavery. Just what happens. And so Joseph's life starts to take this roller coaster effect. He, he goes into slavery and he serves um, at a home of a man named Potiphar. And then he's thrown in prison because he's wrongly accused of a crime. And then from prison, he starts to interpret dreams and then rises in power to be the second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph's life has been up and down. There's been urgent moments in Joseph's life. Yet the most urgent Joseph gets, the Bible tells us, is right here at the end of his life. He's 110 years old. Joseph has seen some stuff go down. He's seen God move in his life in powerful ways. And he says, take care of my bones when I die. And his sons are like, okay, that's fine. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not going to get buried here. I want you to take my bones with me when you leave. And they're like, okay. It's a little bit weird, Grandpa. Like, what are you trying to tell us? And he's like, don't bury me here. I want to go with you when you leave this place. I can imagine 110-year-old, old crazy man Joe looking at his kids like, hey, don't bury my bones here. And they're like, fine, Grandpa, we won't do it. Like, gosh, what? I don't know what he's talking about, but we're not going to do it. We're going to do what you tell us to do. He gave direction concerning his bones. And so they don't bury his bones there because Joseph embodies with his entire life, his very bones, the end of his days, says there's a a promise coming. If you know Joseph, he's the great-grandson of Abraham. And Abraham, we talked about last week, was given a promise that there was going to be a land that the Israelites would inhabit as their own land. And Joseph, believing in that dream all the way until the very end of his life, says, I'm not going to be left here in Egypt. I'm going to the promised land with you. And what Joseph didn't know, what his sons didn't know at that time, is that there was going to be a 300-year period before that was going to take place. 300 years. I don't know about you. I wouldn't leave my great-grandfather's bones in my house for 300 years. It's a little bit gross. It's a little bit disgusting. Like, what are we talking about here? Yet Joseph says, don't you bury me here. Joseph had a perspective. He had an anticipation that this promise was going to come true. There was a hunger deep in his spirit at the end of his life that said, I'm not meant for this place, so take me to the promised land when you get there. He's building an anticipation into his kids. You know, Joseph doesn't see this dream realized before he dies. And so sometimes we think urgency, this urgent faith that Joseph has, means immediacy. means that I'm urgent about this prayer request, God. I want to see it happen right now. And God says, I hear the urgency, 
but it might not be your timing. It might not be your timing. What the writer, I think, here is trying to instill for us today as well is that not as an idea that it has to happen right now. Urgency doesn't mean immediacy. It means readiness. It means readiness. My urgent faith is ready to move. My urgent faith is expecting a move of God in a great way. If you follow sports, one of my other passions that my wife puts up with, she's very gracious about it, but I do love to enjoy watching football. Um, And so if you know football, you know that there's different positions on the football field, but the most important one is the quarterback. Yeah. And if you followed the season this last year, you know the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Any Eagle fans? There's like three of you. Any Patriot fans? See, I'm a Jets fan. So... It doesn't go so well for me. But see, listen, the Jets are still in the NFL. I know you think that they're not playing anymore. They're there. We're there. Someone's got to lose all those games so that you can win all those games. But this last year, you know the Philadelphia Eagles went on this incredible run to the Super Bowl, and they had a quarterback named Carson Wentz, middle of the season, going to win the MVP. He's having his great year. And in a moment, he gets injured, and he's taken out. And his backup has to come in. Now, if you know football, if the backup quarterback's got to come in, things ain't going to go very well. And so this guy named Nick Foles comes in the game. Nick Foles is now the Eagles' starting quarterback. Doesn't exactly convey lots of confidence. His team's like, all right, well, let's pack it in. We'll come back next year when Carson's healthy. Yet Nick Foles comes in the game ready. There's a readiness as a backup quarterback that you have to have that in a moment things can shift and you need to step right into them. This is the place, though, where faith can so often die. It's the place where faith can fall apart. You've been waiting and praying that same prayer for 20 years. You've got the urgency, and it didn't happen the way you thought it was. I believe God's word for you is to stay ready, is to stay hungry, is to stay anticipating that there's a better day coming. You know, we get a picture at the end of Joshua where Joseph's bones are finally put to rest. This is generations later. The nation of Israel has inhabited the promised land, this land called Canaan. And they separate all the lands and they settle down. They're building homes. And Joshua 24, 32 says this, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the place of the land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. A very specific amount of money. A hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph This season that you're in of extended wait, you've been waiting a long time for the right diagnosis. You've been waiting a long time for the right job. You've been waiting a long time for the right opportunities to come. God's word for you today is readiness. This is the first element of urgent faith that you have to be ready. You've got to believe that a better day is coming because urgent faith visualizes a better day. You've got to have a perspective that my best days with God are still ahead of me. Let's take a look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, 
were drowned. You know, Moses is raised inside the home of Pharaoh's daughter. Early in his life, he's given up because there's an edict from the king that every firstborn, all the male descendants of the nation of Israel needed to be killed. And so his parents, Moses' biological parents, hide him. And then they put him in a basket, sell him down a river. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and she raises him. And so Moses is raised inside this palace with everything he could ever want. He wanted for nothing. Think about that perspective right now. You would want for nothing. That's what Moses is raised in. He's raised in a palace. And yet everything that he could have didn't add up for him. His spirit was hungry for something that all the wealth of Egypt could never give him. He was longing for eternal purpose. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that his parents saw that he was beautiful. If you have kids, you know your kids are the smartest, they're the cutest, they're the best, they're reciting Shakespeare, they're playing Beethoven, they're doing everything by age two. Like, this is the, this is the best kid in the world. Your kid is terrible, my kid is awesome. And this is the perspective that Moses' parents have, but there's a specialness that what they see. The Hebrew word here is taub. Tell your neighbor, you look taub today. Taub, T-O-W-B. This word means beautiful in the sight of God. This is what I tell my wife every morning. Hey, baby, you look taub today. Beautiful in the sight of God. There's an eternal purpose in Moses. This is what they saw in him as a baby. You know, what's important for us to realize is that there's no greater pursuit in your life than the things that affect eternity. Moses looks at all the treasures and all the titles and all the prestige of Egypt and says, I'm made for something more. I'm made for something more. And so he steps out of that kingdom into a life of eternal purpose. You know, this eternal mindset, having a deep understanding, visualizing a better day, gets you a little bit of the way there. But the next thing that has to happen is very practical. You've got to start making what I like to call eternal deposits. Eternal deposits. You've got to start living and acting and breathing with every moment of your life, pulling heaven down to earth, making eternal deposits. It's forgiving someone when they've wronged you. It's forgiving an offense when someone has done something that's made you upset. It's serving the needs of others beyond yourself. It's finding opportunities to be a beacon of light in a community, maybe of darkness. Every single thing that you do with an eternal mindset is an eternal deposit. And this is what keeps your heart in eternity. It keeps your heart fixed on the long view of eternity. You know, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6 when they're asking him, how do we live? What should we be doing? And Jesus said this, starting in verse 19, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, church, it's not enough just to believe in eternity. You've got to start making some deposits there. You've got to keep your heart fixed on eternity. This is what Moses does when he steps out of the palace. He says, no, 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 all the things here that are temporary are nice, but I've got an eternal perspective. My heart is set on seeing heaven brought down to earth. And so Moses starts making eternal deposits. You know, for me, For a long season of my life, my wife and I, I'm from Connecticut, but my wife grew up out west. We moved to Richmond, Virginia for a number of years. Any Southerners in the room today? Okay, I'll take it. Richmond's kind of Southern, so we'll claim it. But I lived in in Richmond, Virginia for a number of years. We were part of different ministries and things that were happening. We were serving in a church, and something in my spirit, like I said, I went to Bible school. I was ready, right? I had done all the things. I checked all the boxes like, all right, I'm ready for the roll. Give me the Bible. Give me the microphone. I'm ready to roll. And it didn't happen. 
and there were opportunities that just passed me by, went to other people. And something in my heart shifted when I realized I was only after the temporary thing. I was after the title. I was after some element of like the prestige, the authority. And my heart was not fixed on eternity. I remember a very poignant moment coming home and talking about it with my wife who said, you just got to start serving. You just got to start meeting needs. You got to just start fixing your heart on eternity. And so my heart, as I just started making eternal deposits, focused me back in on heaven, focused me back on and seeing eternal perspective in my life. Maybe that's what you need today. You've been waiting for that opportunity. You know, for me, the grace of God was not giving me the thing that I wanted when I thought I needed it. It was the grace of God to withhold that until I was ready. Come on, that's a word for you today, that God's grace for you is not giving you the thing you think you're ready for right now. God's grace is saying, fix your heart on eternity. Invest in eternal things. Invest in heaven. That's what had to happen for me because this is the second thing urgent faith does. It makes eternal deposits. Makes eternal deposits. Take a look again at Hebrews 11 with me, starting in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The writer of Hebrews jumps about a generation at this point. There's a new leader over the nation of Israel. His name is Joshua. He's a good-looking guy. He's brave. My name's Josh. That's why I'm saying these things. Come on, you can get a little bit funny today. Brave, dashing, a little bit, you know, rugged. He's a basketball player. He's 6'7". Yeah, no, all those things. He's a new leader over the nation of Israel. And he sends out spies to learn the city. And that's where we meet Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. It says this in verse 8. Before the men, talking about the spies, laid down, she, talking about Rahab, came to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og. Where's my wife? Can we name our kids Sihon and Og? Feeling a no in my spirit right now whom you devoted to destruction, verse 11, and as soon as we had heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with me, with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and my sister, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. There is so much happening in this moment. Rahab, this Canaanite woman whose profession is to, is to satisfy the sexual desires of men, a prostitute, encounters a story. She's living in Jericho. She hears that there's a nation of people walking this way and their God just parted the Red Sea. It's an incredible moment for Rahab. She meets these spies and goes, oh, I've heard of this guy. He's all powerful. He's above everything. Our hearts are totally melted. You're going to win this city. She already has faith for something that her heart didn't have context for yet. Her brain wasn't wired to understand all the promises of Abraham and the way that God has, had brought the nation of Israel to this point. She just knows, hey, this guy part of the Red Sea, uh, yeah, I'm going to bet my life on him. 
Rahab, this prostitute woman living in the city of Jericho, has her whole world turned over. And she knows that these walls of Jericho are going to come down. Now, Scripture tells us that her home, her occupation, her identity, her family, everything this woman knows is within the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho were thick. Homes themselves resided within the wall. And Rahab said, I know that these walls are coming down because I've heard of a God who's part of the Red Sea. Yeah, I think he's going to take these walls down. And so for her, faith in a moment grows to say, when those walls come down, so comes down my profession, so comes down my reputation, so comes down my past, so comes down every moment I've been taken advantage of. For Rahab, she's believing that the God that is going to show up with these Israelite people, when those walls come down, so there goes my past identity. And she has faith in a moment to say, God, I believe you for a brand new day in my life. Everything she knows is going to get buried in those walls. She's letting go of the past and welcoming the new. You know, in Matthew chapter 1, maybe you've skipped Matthew chapter 1 in the past. This is where the genealogy of Jesus is laid out, of who begot who, who begot who, who begot who, all these different words. And in verse 5, this is so sweet to me. Rahab's mentioned. Verse 5, Matthew 1. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king of Israel. This is the line that Jesus is going to come out from. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Includes a woman who was a prostitute living within the walls of a city, and the moment those walls came down, her entire name is changed. She's not listed in Matthew 1 as the prostitute anymore. She's listed as the mother of Boaz, who begot, who begot, who begot Jesus. This is Rahab's story. She's no longer the prostitute. She's the wife and the mother. You know, few things encourage me more than that sweet little verse in Matthew 1 because it includes for me a perspective that women who have been taken advantage of, when they have faith erupt in their spirit, they're included in the family of God. That for you and me, with varied pasts, we're included in the family of God. The moment faith springs forward in my mind, suddenly my past gets completely buried in the old things that I was. My life is made new, no matter where I've come from, no matter my last name, no matter, who, no matter who I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 minutes ago. I'm brand new before God the moment my faith aligns with him as the savior of the world. And that's a word for you today. You've been carrying elements of your past. Like Rahab, you've been looking down at the broken pieces, but you've been picking them up. You've been carrying these broken pieces of a wall that used to define who you were. And God is saying to you right now, lay those things down before me. I've called you brand new. In Christ, you have everything that you'll ever need. You're included in my family. You're no longer the prostitute. You're in the genealogy of Jesus. You're a part of the family today. And this is the third thing that urgent faith does. It buries the past. It buries the past. Your past right now is buried. It is gone. It is rejected. And the new has come for you right now by faith in Jesus. There's this common thread amongst Joseph and Moses and Rahab, this common thread. None of them content to stay where they were. Not one of them content. Joseph says at the end of my life, 
take me with you. I'm going to visualize a brand new day at the end of my life that's going to get passed on to the next generation. So when you leave this place, take my bones with you. Moses, not content with all the riches of Egypt. He says, no, I'm going to step out from Egypt because I can't take not having my eternal perspective met by an all-knowing and loving God. Rahab, who's saying, I can't stay as confined and defined by the walls of my life anymore. I got to get out of here. This is what urgent faith does, church. It's moving. It's active. It's a part of what God is doing. It's not content with what it's seen. It's not content with the circumstances that it's walking in right now because urgent faith is always looking to the future and ultimately urgent faith is always hungry for more. Hungry for more. Hungry for more. You know, as a church, we have a heart and a desire to see this region changed. We have a heart and a desire that really actually believes that in our lifetime, I'm 34 years old, by the end of my life, New England will be the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. We believe it. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a hope placed in no expectation. We really do actually believe that. But it has to start with my heart. It has to start with your heart has to start with your family's heart, has to start with your neighbor's heart, and your co-worker's heart, and your friend's heart, one by one by one, urgent faith to rise up in each and every one of us. And yet right now, maybe you're stuck in a place where your faith is stagnant. I want you to know I've been there. I mentioned earlier my wife is expecting twins, but our story has been very long. And for a number of years in our marriage, we struggled with infertility. Nine years. Nine years. We started to be defined by it. We started to adopt the identity that we weren't going to have kids. Just this negative script in our lives. This is not whole. And so we started to feel a little bit of shame, a little bit of incompletedness, felt a little bit broken, a little bit stuck. And for nine years, we tried to have kids and we couldn't. I remember one day, this is not even about a year ago, you guys know Mike Schnepp, I was sitting in Mike's office talking about this very issue, saying, we don't know if we're ever going to have kids. And Mike just started to pray with me, and we're crying, and I'm praying, and I'm crying, he wasn't crying. And I just remember looking up at Mike and saying, I don't know where this is coming from, Mike, but I just know, one way or another, we're going to be parents. Stacy and I, we're going to be parents. I just, I don't know how it's going to happen. Maybe we need to adopt. I don't know. But we're going to be parents. We're not incomplete. We're going to be parents. See, what I needed to start to do was visualize a better day. Visualize a better day for my family. And then as my heart wandered just a touch in that season, wandering back to just what I don't have and to earthly things and things below, I needed to reset my perspective on eternity and just keep making eternal deposits and keep making eternal deposits, keep making eternal deposits deposits. We entered into a process called in vitro fertilization. This is how we're having twins. This is how we're having babies. But that's a difficult season. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe this has played out in your family. It's a fearful moment. I didn't tell my wife before we went to the doctor, but I was looking up statistics, you know, like the thing you do when you shouldn't ever do that. And I found this statistic that said that less than 40% of women under the age of 35 conceive through IVF. Less than 40%. And there was a moment 
where I started to have that old identity just creep back into my spirit that we can't have kids. And in that moment, I remember so clearly just saying that's not who we are. God, it's not what you've called us to. You've called us to parent children. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but we are not who we used to be. We are not that identity. And so I felt spiritually just the dropping of those broken pieces of our past, and I needed to let them be buried. You know, this summer, by God's grace, we're expecting two twin boys, and I am so overwhelmed. Just so overwhelmed and overjoyed at a God whose grace was sufficient in that season, who developed a deep, urgent hunger in my spirit. I don't know what you're struggling with today. Maybe you're stuck in a rut. It's been five years, it's been 10 years, it's been 20 years, and the dream in your spirit is starting to grow dim. You need to visualize a better day today. You need a perspective of heaven. Maybe everything in your life just looks a little bit dull. Everything looks a little bit beige. Your heart's just wandered back to temporary things, temporary things. God's word for you today is start making eternal deposits. Find needs that you can meet practically. Start to serve. Start to extend generosity and forgiveness to the world around you. And maybe, just maybe, there's an element of your past that needs to be buried today. You've been a Jesus follower for 15 years, and yet you still identify with the person you were before that. I believe right now, God's word for you is that your past is buried. It's gone. You're new. You're new. You're new. You're new. Urgent faith is growing in this room. I can feel it. I can feel the hunger of God's people wanting to see a better day. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm just going to say a word of prayer and we're going to sing together. Sometimes it's good just to sing after we hear God's word. I'm going to pray a prayer, but before we do that, would you just close your eyes for a moment and just consider, ask God right now, where am I? God, have I lost perspective of a better day? God, am I not making eternal deposits? God, do I need to have my past buried today? Go ahead, just begin to ask God, where am I? Ask God to examine your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now, as we sing, as we lift our eyes to heaven, as we lift our hands in worship, God, that urgent faith would be birthed in this room. God, that a deep hunger would grow in the spirit of every single person in this room. God, that a hunger to replace every bit of complacency, a hunger that replaces satisfaction with the things that we've already seen. God, give us a picture of a new day. God, I pray urgency in your people right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.